We'll read again from the 84th Psalm, verses 1 and 2. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. The psalmist, who some think to be David and others think to perhaps have been uh, those of the priesthood or of the Levites, was prevented by circumstances from worshiping God in the house of the Lord. It's divided into three parts, separated by the silas. These psalms, most of them were designed to be songs that were sung, so this would be like three verses of the same song. In the first part, the psalmist longs for communion with, with God in his house. He longs to be in God's house, that's for sure, but he longs for more than that. He longs to worship God in his house. So desperation sets in. He says, my, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh uh, cried out to the living God. Perhaps we can relate to this more presently than usual, since we're hindered from being in the house of the Lord. I come from a different background, so it was never growing up a desire on my part to be in the house of God or to worship God, whether it be in his house or away from his house. My mother would have had it been different. She tried to, to attend church over the years. My dad was different. He had no interest whatsoever. And we, we followed dad's lead rather than mom's lead. But then when I was attending Oregon State, I got saved. It was uh, dramatic. It was instantaneous. And uh, it was a remarkable uh, turnabout in my life, though I had never been instructed what being saved was. I don't recall ever having heard the term of being saved. But uh, in a moment of time, away from church, I had a conversion experience. And suddenly, I, I needed help from heaven. I did not know what to do. At first, I thought to myself, I could just low-key this thing and and uh, process it and see what what would happen. But that lasted about two or three days. Then I realized I, I need to go to church. Well, I didn't know about churches. I didn't know where to go to church. But I, I was hungry for uh, God. I was longing to know what God would have me to do or how to go about uh, serving God. So I opened the, uh, the phone book. We used to use phone books. And uh, went to the yellow pages that were uh, advertising pages rather than the white pages, which were phone numbers of uh, everyone uh, who had a phone, I guess. Anyway, I looked under churches. Well, I was pretty sure, perhaps based upon my own mother's experience, that I needed to be a Christian. So I looked under Christian churches. There was a whole list, a long list. And as I recall, the, the uh, first Christian church that had the name Christian in it was called the First Christian Church. 
So that's the church I went to that, that Sunday, and I'm not uh, out to discredit a church that goes by that name. I'm not familiar with churches that really go by that name. But this particular one was one who was trying to appeal, I guess, to university students. So the, the leader, I assume was the pastor, got up and said, we serve a changing God to meet our changing needs for these changing times. Well, I didn't, had never read the Bible. I did not know that the Bible said, I am the Lord and I change not, nor I'm, uh, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But to hear that said the way it was said made me really nervous. If God changes, I mean, where's, where's this going? I, I, it was just something that didn't settle. So I certainly didn't go back uh, at that time or, or to that place. But the next week, I had ridden, ridden my bicycle. Everybody at college had a bicycle, it seemed, including myself, even though I had a nice car as well. But um, I, I rode my bike. You don't have to ride very far in Corvallis to get out into the country towards Philomath. And there was a, a country church. Well, that is kind of a romanticized uh, version of a church, the old country church. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to that church Sunday. And so I did. And honestly, I have no memory of, of, uh, of that church except for the fact that it was, um, it, it didn't solve my problem. I, I needed to find God. The third Sunday, uh, I went to another church not far from the apartment where I lived, sharing it with another student. He, and he, ironically, was the church guy. I wasn't the church guy. I was a farm boy who just happened to go to college. And um, I didn't go to his church, I'll say that, because he clearly wasn't uh, living right, nor had I been until my conversion. And now I just was living. I didn't know how I was living, but I just wanted to live for God. So I, I went uh, back to the phone book and found another church and went to that church that third Sunday. And that third Sunday, he did something different. I, I know he did something different because he said he was doing something different. They they ran their services much like we run ours. They had a some sort of a prelude and congregational singing. And then, um, not midway through, but uh, partway through, he uh, had what was normally to be standing prayer like we typically do here in our church. But on this particular Sunday, uh, he said, today I'm going to do something different. He said, rather than have us all stand for prayer, I want you to all kneel in these pews as I lead us in prayer. And I don't know what that did to everybody else, but with a longing for God in my heart, in the house of God, I made contact with the Lord as he led us in prayer. It wasn't a long prayer. Within 60 seconds, we were up uh, seated again. Uh, but that was an experience I still obviously have not forgotten. And that is something I still don't take for granted here, that each time we assemble in God's house, it's customary. It's not unusual for us to go to our knees in prayer, looking heaven's way together. God hears that. And God wants us to have a longing in our heart, not just to return to God's house, but to worship God in his house. And that's a longing we all share this morning. Well, the psalmist envies the birds. We could all, we could envy the bird. Plural. The sparrow hath found a house, in verse 3 we read, and the swallow a nest for herself. And he goes on to express the fact that the the birds of the air 
could nest, and, and they do. Well, they could if we left the doors open in the sanctuary of the Lord. But the psalmist found himself estranged from the sanctuary of the Lord. We, we've seen that when we open up the tabernacle before camp meeting. Uh, more than once, a bird has made its way into the tabernacle. I don't recall having seen one here in the sanctuary of the church, but in the tabernacle, the bird freely comes and goes, except the door is low and the ceiling is high, so he might have a little uh, trouble going after he came. I guess there's a, a good thought in that as well. But the psalmist envies the birds. They're not even presently sequestered. They can assemble at will wherever they, uh, wherever their instincts tell them to assemble, whether it be alone or whether it be together in trees or once in a while you see them lined up on a power line. They, they're free. They're free to nest and they build nests. They build nests under the eaves of the tabernacle or of the church itself. So you can see why the psalmist's attention was drawn toward the, the uh, to the sparrow or uh, to the swallow who could nest in the house of the Lord uh, nearly. But he was estranged from the house of the Lord. Well, one thing about a, a bird, if, if one location is blocked, if a bird could think rationally, and it cannot, it thinks instinctively. Well, maybe it doesn't think instinctively. It operates instinctively. Uh, if, if one preferred location is blocked, if the bird could say to himself, I want to go into the tabernacle and build a nest there, but the doors are locked, he, so he cannot go in there. He finds an alternative. He finds a spot and builds a nest, or she, and that's what happens. We learn from the swallow and, and from the sparrow. We can operate rationally. We can give thought to this. If one spot is blocked, we find another. And that other spot might be uh, at our couch, at our bedside. If we have a basement in our home, in the basement, or in some uh, corner, wherever it be, if one spot is unavailable, we find another. And that's, uh, that's the way we operate, and that's the way we have been operating uh, of late. Verse 4, he appears, the psalmist does, to envy uh, the priests and the Levites who could serve uh, continually. He says, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Well, I guess I could be envied because I've been able to be here whether on the platform or otherwise, each time uh, we've had any one of these services. And I'm not taking that for granted, but I'm not satisfied either because I want everyone to be able to be here at the same time. And that will come to pass as, as we continue to pray together. But he did say, uh, with regard to these Levites or these priests, they, they will be praising thee still. So they praise the Lord in the morning, they praise the Lord at noontime, and they praise the Lord in the evening. They praise the Lord when their shift is ending and they go away, and they praise the Lord when they return to resume their shift. So they will be still praising thee. Uh, similarly, uh, we were praising the Lord last time we were here together. We're praising the Lord when we're away in this, uh, separated. And when we will, uh, when we return, we will still be praising the Lord. You know, birds, they praise God. 
instinctively. They sing. They don't worry. Jesus used them as an illustration for us to learn not to be anxious ourselves. Birds, they do sing, and they don't worry. Perhaps there's a correlation there from which we can learn. It's hard to simultaneously sing praises to God and worry or fret. So when you're tempted to be distressed or be anxious or to worry, sing. Sing praises to God. I I challenge anyone to be able to simultaneously sing praises to God and fret. Well, I don't challenge you to do it because I don't want you to try to do it. You simply can't do it. You, You must praise the Lord or you must fret. Your choice. My choice. So we uh, thank God that, like the bird, sunshine or rain, uh, we can praise the Lord. So the, the psalmist was longing, as are we, for ha- having communion with God in God's house. That appears to be the summary of the first verse, or the first a third of this psalm. And then verses 5 through 8, in the second part, we see the psalmist finds his strength in God rather than just in a structure, in a building, in a, in a church location. He, he says in verse 5, Blessed is a man whose strength is in thee. And the, the, the English translation is a bit uh, difficult, but it, it, the sense could be, Blessed is a man whose strength and whose way is, is in thee. The church building has great value, and uh, it's certainly God's will and plan that Christians come together in in church buildings to worship Him in fellowship and in in uh, unity. But the strength isn't in the building; the strength is in God. Make no mistake about that. It, it brings to mind when Debbie and I lived in Eureka with our uh, teenage two children, and Randy uh, got a paper route. Well, one day the, he had evidently neglected to deliver a paper to one house not far from where we lived. So he left just before we were to sit down for dinner to deliver that paper. And we were quite busy and didn't notice that he was tearing a bit, although I guess we wondered uh, why he hadn't come back so quickly. But uh, we suddenly had a knock on our front door and a phone call simultaneously. The phone call was from the police. The knock on the front door was from a peer of Randy who had gotten to know him at school even though they'd only been going to school a couple of weeks. The police said, uh, your, your son, don't worry, but your son has been in an accident and uh, told us the location of it. Of course, the police had no idea where we lived. We were only three, four blocks from the scene of the accident and uh, said, don't come up Harris Street, assuming we would be driving, but we weren't going to drive. We were going to run. Uh, he said, don't come up Harris Street because we rerouted traffic. Well, that seemed incongruent to think, don't worry, but we have rerouted traffic. But that's a, a separate thought. So Debbie and I dashed out the front door as the, the friend told us that our son had also been in, in a wreck, uh, hit by a car, rather. And so uh, we jogged toward uh, the scene of the accident. And to, to go to the scene of the accident, we had to go down D Street, where the parsonage was, two blocks from the church, 
And there, in, in our view, was the great big uh, Eureka Church. And we would turn left then and go to the scene of the accident away from the church, another about two blocks. Well, Debbie wasn't going as quickly as me, so I didn't know whether to leave her and go ahead or, or wait for her and go with her, but she said, run ahead, run ahead. So I did. And she told later how that there was that church and, and the value of that church as she's running to see what has happened to our son and turned the corner away from the church and to find when I turned the corner, there was uh, Randy on, on, a, on a gurney being loaded into an ambulance. But uh, it was thought-provoking to think uh, that, that it was not the church uh, that was going to help uh, resolve this situation. It was the God who we serve in that church. And the God of that church location uh, is also the God of the asphalt, where Randy had ended up unconscious after her, uh, having been hit by that car and doing a good deal of damage to that car, by the way, and, and to himself. Actually, when we uh, went to the hospital initially, they uh, said he had a, a, a broken neck and... Um, did, went back and did x-rays over the process of time and uh, learned that it wasn't broken after all. We had asked for prayer in the meantime, so I'll leave everyone to to um, adjudicate what happened uh, there. But we know one thing, God uh, answered prayer, and the damage was uh, minimal enough that we could go home that very night and did. But the the God... Our strength is in God, not the building. When you cannot find the building or cannot go to the building, you can still go to God, and we do. And it reminds me, uh, it reminds us of, of Solomon's prayer when the, the dedic- at the dedication of the temple. He prayed that the eyes of God might be on that temple day and night. And he went on uh, to pray. Uh, he said that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. And, and hearken to the supplication, he went on to the uh, people Israel. When they shall pray toward this place, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. Not hear thou our prayer in that place, but in heaven. God is in heaven. He, he doesn't really altogether inhabit uh, a building. He inhabits the hearts of those who are in that building. But, but God is in heaven, and here's our prayers from heaven wherever we pray them. So that when Daniel was carried away uh, captive, he remembered Solomon's prayer, and he opened his windows toward that temple and prayed three times a day, knowing that God would hear from heaven that prayer as he honored the uh, prayer that Solomon had prayed at the dedication of the temple that day. Verse 6 makes reference to those who have that longing for God when uh, passing through the valley of Baca. Make it a well. The rain also uh, filleth the pools. Baca means weeping. And the location was, uh, in that time, uh, apparently a a desert, isolated location far uh, from or in the Holy Land, not far from uh, Jerusalem. So the prayer, uh, or the the song that the psalmist wrote, uh, made reference to the fact that those who are uh, 
uh, on a pilgrimage to go to uh, Jerusalem to worship God in the temple will pass uh, through this isolated uh, desert place, a dry place. But the, the song uh, and the psalm uh, praise, in effect, that God will, will make that a well. And the children of Israel had experienced that, an oasis in the desert. When they cried for, for water, God showed them a spot where there were 70 uh, palm trees uh, flourishing in the middle of the desert, an oasis. That's what God can do when we find ourselves in the middle of a dry place. And he fills, it, fills the pools. So there's refreshing just ahead. Well, we can anticipate that as we are on this uh, Christian journey, this pilgrimage. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion, appeareth before God. They go from strength to strength. It doesn't say they go from weakness to strength. They go from strength to strength. Oftentimes we make reference to the fact that we go from camp meeting to camp meeting. Well, we look forward to camp meeting. We don't anticipate except for one year during the 1940s, that it will be two years between camp meetings. But nonetheless, we don't really go from camp meeting to go camp meeting. We go from strength to strength. We, we need not go from the last series of special meetings to the next series of special meetings, or from one Sunday prayer meeting to the next Sunday prayer meeting. We go from day to day as we look God's way, from personal prayer meeting to personal prayer meeting. We go from strength to strength. Verse 8, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Their prayer, or the, the, the psalmist's prayer, rather, is our prayer. O God, hear our prayer. Bring us back uh, to the house of God together. God will do that. Uh, God will do that uh, sooner than the evidence suggests as we pray and look heaven's way in anticipation of that day. Meantime, nothing wrong with anticipation. That's the best part of growing up when you think about Christmas. is not Christmas Day, it's the days leading up to Christmas. Well, we're going to have a Christmas one of these days, and we pray that it's in June rather than in December in that sense. So, oh God, hear our prayer. The third part, the psalmist, uh, we, we see that the psalmist's uh, trust is, is exercised, or when his trust is exercised away from God, God's house, it brings the same results as when his trust is exercised in God's house. The last verse, the verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. There's no uh, caveat, there's no, no restrictions. Blessed is the man who, who trusts in thee, whether it be Sunday or Thursday, whether it be in, in God's house or in traffic or in my house. We trust God, and as we do, we're blessed. Why we have every reason to, to sing like the birds sing, or sing like the singers have sung this morning here in, in God's house. And if we don't have a, a terrific voice, even if we sing when nobody else is around, which might be the most advisable under those circumstances, God hears those songs. God hears our, our praise to Him. So blessed is the man uh, that trusteth in, in Him. 
in verse 9, uh, similarly he says, Look upon the face of thine anointed. And that's why some think that perhaps this was the king, King David, because he, they, they were anointed king. And uh, that phrase is often uh, in reference to a king, or it could be in reference to the Messiah, or it could be in reference to any consecrated individual, and that would include you. You have consecrated and dedicated your heart to God to live for him. You have separated yourself from uh, the demands of the world, if you will, and the expectations of those who, uh, whose expectations you cannot meet. No, but you can meet God's expectation. So look upon the face of thine anointed, Lord. Look upon the face of uh, the one who has consecrated himself or herself uh, to thee, uh, O Lord, and hear our prayers. We are among God's chosen people. God hears our prayers, and we, we thank God for that. It's not just a prayer to come back to, together in his house uh, to worship him. It's a prayer that uh, is a prayer to honor him and to give thanks to him no matter our location. God will hear and answer your prayer this morning as you look his way. We'll have Brother Dave give the closing prayer this morning.